today we're continuing in the new series that we started last week, simply titled Remember, uh, where we're looking at passages of Scripture throughout the Bible that appeal to us uh, to remember certain things. As I shared last week, remembering is really important. And one of the reasons it's so important is because it holds incredible potential for changing our thoughts, changing our attitudes, and even changing uh, our actions. You know, we have memories that are accessible to us. They are in our memory files. But until we actually access those memories, uh, until we actually bring those things out of the files and get them in the forefront of our mind, uh, those memories, that information really doesn't do us much good. It's sort of like we've We've lost it. It's accessible, but it's not present in our thinking. And so it's only when we call to mind a filed away memory that it can be helpful in shaping our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. And last week we covered how remembering the great things that God has done in our lives, the great things God has done in the lives of family and friends, the churches we've been a part of, and also stepping back and considering all of God's work throughout history, when we remember the great things that God has done, it can strengthen our faith, it increases our confidence in God, and it increases our confidence that God can do those same kinds of things again. And so as we remember and we, as we commemorate what God has done, our confidence regarding what God can do now and in the future grows. And it can even grow to the point where our confidence remains even when we're going through a time where we're not seeing God do the things that we were wishing he was doing in the present moment. Remembering changes our attitude. And when our attitude changes, our actions can change. We can begin to pray with confidence again. We can look for opportunities to cooperate with God toward the fulfillment of what uh, we're asking God to do. Save a loved one, heal a marriage, free someone uh, from addiction. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and uh, catch up by watching the first message in the series. You can do that at our website, uh, or you can do that on our YouTube channel. You can find that just by uh, searching Living Hope Church Pataskala. Uh, on YouTube. Today we're turning our attention to Isaiah chapter 44, and as we'll see shortly, Isaiah 44 uh, is a, a very lengthy appeal to remember the futility of idols, to remember the futility of idol worship. Before we look at the text, let me share just a little bit of background information about Isaiah 44. It was written, as you might guess, by the prophet uh, Isaiah, and the section of Isaiah that chapter 44 falls within deals with prophecies about the children of Israel that would come to pass in the 6th century B.C., so in the 500s uh, B.C. Uh, in fact, chapters 40 through 55 of Isaiah deal with prophecies about this time period. For much of the 6th century, the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity. They had been carried into captivity probably somewhere around 587 B.C., and they remained there until the Persian Empire, under the leadership of Cyrus, defeated Babylon 
And when Cyrus and Persia defeated Babylon, Cyrus permitted the children of Israel to return to their home probably sometime around 539 B.C. So for a a pretty sizable section of the 500s, they were in Babylonian captivity. Isaiah was probably written somewhere around 740 B.C., which means it was written about 150 or so years before the Babylonian captivity. So what we're going to read today, it, it, it was written uh, about 150 years, some people say as many as 200 years before uh, the events of the captivity actually came about. And so what Isaiah was doing is he was both warning of coming judgment So he was giving them a 150-year notice that judgment was coming at the hands of the Babylonians as well as he was encouraging the people of Israel that even though God's judgment was going to come upon them, God's intentions for them remained good and he was going to deliver them and bless them. Even in judgment, God's intentions were good. It was to get people to turn back to him. And in fact, the end of chapter 44, which we aren't going to deal with today, includes a prophecy that Cyrus would return Israel to their home and rebuild the city and see the foundations of the temple uh, laid. And so uh, that event, uh, Isaiah did prophesy about 200 years before it actually happened. So within this context, most of chapter 44 deals with idolatry and the futility of idolatry. And it serves as an appeal to the people of Israel to turn away from idolatry, as well as it serves as an indictment against any people who engage in idolatry, including uh, the Babylonian Empire. So with that context, let's turn our attention to the text. I'm uh, going to cover today Isaiah 44, 6 through 23. I know it is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, but we are in church, so that seems appropriate. Uh, So I'm going to read uh, the entire thing, and if you would, follow along as I read. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who speak up for them are blind, they are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works uh, with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that he may dwell, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. 
He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. And from the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says to it, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forest, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Amen to the word of the Lord. Now, Obviously can't exhaustively treat such a lengthy passage, but there are a number of things that I want to highlight for us today. The Word of God came to Isaiah, and Isaiah recorded it. So keep in mind, uh, these are the words of the Lord. God is speaking. Verse 6 begins, this is what the Lord says. God is speaking to his people, a people who have often turned away from him toward idols, And God says to them, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. God wants it to be known that any so-called gods are not actually gods. Because apart from him, apart from Yahweh, there is no God. People worship things other than God. People give reverence to things that they put in the place of God. But God makes it very clear to people worshiping anything or anyone other than him, (coughs) that thing isn't God. Because I'm the only God and there is no other. This is a really important thing to remember. The God of the Bible is not just the most powerful from a pantheon of gods. He is the only God, and there is no other. He has no competition. It's just him. He's God all by himself. 
He says in verse 8, there is no other rock. I know not one. I have no equal. There's no one else like me. I'm God all by myself, God says. And so right at the beginning of addressing idolatry, God makes it known that even though people worship things other than him, they, there should be no mistake what they worship isn't actually a God. Worship is meant for only God, but the idols they worship aren't. There's only one God. They are worshiping something that isn't worthy of worship. And of course, we do this. We worship things that aren't worthy of worship. And that's a really big problem. It was a big problem for them. It was a big problem for us when we do it. And God goes on to explain why it's a big problem. By highlighting how idols are made and by highlighting the capabilities that idols possess, or more accurately, the capabilities that idols do not possess. In verses 9 through 17, God, in quite specific and derisive detail, confronts the people with the reality of how idols come to be, how idols are made. And there are three things that I want to highlight from the text about how idols of that time were made, how they came into existence. The first thing that God confronts them with is that their idols are man-made creations. They are made by men. What kind of a God is created by a man? This is God's point. Verse 12, the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm and while he's doing that, he gets hungry and loses his strength. He, he doesn't drink enough water and he grows faint. A man makes an idol. And God points out that this man who makes the idol gets hungry and loses strength, doesn't drink enough water and grows faint. What kind of God is made and what kind of God is brought into being by a mere human who gets tired while he's making the God. This is, this is what God is saying. He's pointing out how absolutely preposterous idolatry is. Verse 13 makes the same point. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out and chisels and marks it with compasses. Whether, whether the material is iron or wood, the point is the idol is man-made. A man crafts it into being. And I want you to, to note here that God has never treated idolatry as understandable or reasonable. We, we have already heard in the text a derisive tone that matches how preposterous idolatry is. And we'll hear it even more as we continue throughout the text. And so God points out that idols are man-made, and then he goes further and he highlights that idols are made in human form. Men make them, and they make them look like themselves. The second part of verse 13, he, the carpenter, shapes it, the idol, in human form. Human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. Ridiculousness piled upon ridiculousness. 
idols are man-made gods, and they are gods made in the image of men, made to look like men. I mean, think of just how silly this is. Made by men, look like men, and then they're placed in a shrine where they stay confined by men because they have no power to do anything but stay in the shrine where they were placed by men. Because even though men worship them, they are not a god. I'll say more about this in a few minutes, but even though the idols that modern people worship aren't images made of iron and wood, we today are guilty of idolatry just as much as they were then because it does remain true that today people give worship that belongs only to God to created things. We're meant to worship the creator, but instead we worship things made by the creator. We worship created things that are not God's and do not deserve our worship. Never allow yourself to think that because people in 2022 largely are not bowing down to iron and wooden statues, that idolatry isn't just as prevalent today as it was back then. Mankind is every bit as idolatrous as it has ever been. Mankind today, just like it has throughout history, worships created things instead of the creator. An idol is man-made. Idols are made in human form. And then in verses 14 through 17, God further demonstrates in biting commentary exactly how preposterous idol worship is. In verse 14, he notes, the idol maker harvests a tree that has grown in the forest. And then in both verses 15 and 16, God uh, makes the same point in slightly different ways. The tree the idol maker harvests, he then uses part of it for fuel to heat himself, to warm himself. He uses another part of it for cooking fuel, for baking bread and roasting meat. And so he cuts down this tree. He uses a, a substantial part of it. In one of the verses it says uses half of it for heating and cooling. Heating and cooking, not cooling. <laughs> heating and cooking. And then... Oh, the list of bloopers that I have committed over the years would be quite a thing to behold. And then after using the tree for fuel, for heating and cooking, God says in verse 15 that he also fashions a God and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. And in verse 17, God says that after the wood has been used for fuel, for heating, and cooking, from the rest, he makes his God, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. God is demonstrating the ridiculousness of idolatry by pointing out that Firewood and idols 
are made out of the same thing. They're the same material. Both are just a tree that's been cut down for a man to use. So God has shown that idols are man-made. They're made in human form. They're made out of the leftovers of firewood. All of this to demonstrate how silly and ridiculous idolatry is. And then throughout the text, he explicitly states the point that this description of how idols are made was meant to convey. He tells them through Isaiah, and by extension he tells us, not only how idols are made, but he tells us what idols are. And let me interject here a good definition for idol that we can apply in our context. Since, as I said just a minute ago, in 2022, in the United States, not very many people are crafting idols out of iron or wood. Here's a a good definition of idol. Any created thing that we worship in the place of God. Another way of thinking of an idol is this. Anything, any created thing that we ascribe higher value to than we do God. And that doesn't mean anything that we would say we ascribe higher value to. Most of us would would never say that. We wouldn't let those words escape our mouths. Well, yes, I I ascribe uh, alcohol a higher value than what I do to God. We we would never let those words come out of our mouths. And so it's it's not what we say we ascribe a higher value to than God. It's what in our hearts we have actually ascribed a higher value to. Understand? It's not it's not our mouth. It's our heart that reveals what we have placed above uh, God. And and so, uh, this is a good uh, definition. The idols that we tend to worship in the United States include things like money, uh, material possessions, sex. Uh, People can be idols as we ascribe higher value to boyfriends or girlfriends or even spouses than we do to God. So we don't have little wooden statues that we bow down in front of, but we do have things. We worship in the place of God. Idolatry is as big a problem today as it has ever been. And whether idolatry takes the form of wooden idols or money, iron idols or sex, or another person, whatever the form, God in Isaiah 44 tells us very explicitly what idols are. Verses 9 and 10. All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit nothing? God says that our idols are worthless and they profit us nothing. They are worthless. They are useless. They're useless. Let me offer a disclaimer here. Since other people can be idols to us, I want to make it very clear that people are never worthless. People are inherently valuable. But as a God... As an object of someone's worship, 
human beings are worthless and useless because people are not up to the task of being God. All idols, all created things that we worship, they are worthless and they are useless. Why? Because a created God can't actually do anything for anyone. A created God can't hear or answer a prayer. A created God can't provide strength when you're weak. A created God can't offer comfort in a difficult time. A created God can't do anything for those who bow before it because a created God is not a God. It has no power. God says in verse 19, no one stops to think. I I mean, isn't that just a, a good description of the time that we live in? And really, it's, it's been a good description of all the times that humans have ever occupied in history. Nobody stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of what I made a God out of, I used for fuel. I, I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. No one stops to think about that. And then God says, One of the things people don't think about, shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Again, God says people make idols because they don't think, they don't reason what the idol is, they fail to reason that the idol isn't worthy worthy of worship because it's just a block of wood. They don't reason that all idols are simply created things, not God, but I especially want to draw attention to what God says an idol is. He says it is a detestable thing. And all of the idols that we erect in our hearts today are detestable things to God. Romans 1 verses 21 through 25 tell us about this. Here's what these verses say. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, that specifically applied in the context of sexual idolatry, but but it applies to any type of idolatry. Serving created things rather than the creator is a detestable thing and it invites the judgment of God. So notice what God has said. Catch what God has said about idolatry. Idols are worthless and useless and idols are detestable. And then God goes on and says in verse 20, such a person, the one who makes an idol, feeds on ashes 
a deluded heart misleads him, he can't he cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? So first, idols are a lie. We convince ourselves that idols can help us, but they can't. They're a lie. Handcrafted images don't make promises. So handcrafted images don't tell lies. The idols that we serve in 2022, the created things, they don't actually themselves tell the lies. It's we humans who tell the lies to ourselves about our idols. A wooden statue never promised anybody anything. The things we worship don't actually make promises to us. We make promises to us on their behalf. We're the deluded ones. Verse 20 says, a deluded heart misleads the idol maker. The lie of what an idol can do for us is a lie that we tell ourselves. Money will make me happy. Fix all of my problems. So I'm going to make money my entire life's focus. A deluded heart tells itself that. It's a lie. Sexual liberation. That's the path to fulfillment. That's the path to contentment. So I'm going to make sex my primary pursuit. It's a deluded heart that tells itself that. It's a lie. If that guy or that girl would just return my affection, if I could just marry that person, or that person, then all would be right with my life. That's all I need is that person to be my spouse. A deluded heart places all of their hopes and dreams on another person to fulfill. It's a lie. Money and sex are good things in the right place, but they aren't answers for anyone's life. As objects of worship, they are a lie. They can't deliver what we look to them to deliver. A spouse is a good thing, but a spouse can't provide for us what only God can provide. So as an object of worship, a spouse is a lie. They can't ever deliver what we ask them to deliver for us. We look to created things to satisfy when only the creator can provide what we need. And we do this because our hearts are deluded. Idols are worthless and useless. They are detestable. They are a lie. And we embrace them because our hearts are deluded. Verses 18 through 20 make the point that idolatry is spiritual blindness. You're spiritually blind. That's why we do it. And idolatry is irrational. It's irrational. And verse 11 stands as a warning of the consequences of idolatry. Here's what it says. People who do that, make idols, will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. 
Idolatry is spiritual blindness. It's irrational. Verse 11 lets us know that it will lead to extreme disappointment. The shame that is referenced is what happens when a person worships an idol and eventually is faced with reality that the thing they've worshipped is worthless and useless. And most of us have figured this out, but we lose track of the information, which is why we have to continually remember and call it to mind. What happens when we pursue things like sex and drugs and money at the expense of our family? You know what happens? You pursue those things, you always reach a point where it becomes obvious they're not delivering what you wanted them to. And what always happens when it's over is you feel shame that you gave yourself to that thing. You know this is true. Give yourself to alcohol, end up drunk. DUI, in jail, what do you feel after that? Shame. Give yourself to an illicit relationship. What do people feel after illicit relationships? I've never heard one person in all the years of being a pastor, I've never heard one person say, you know, my life sucked, I had an affair, and everything has been great since then. Nobody's ever said that. People give themselves to sexual immorality and then it is exposed as worthless, it didn't help, and they're overwhelmed with shame. We feel shame because we realize that the thing we gave ourselves to, it was worthless and it was useless. And when our idols are finally exposed as not being able to deliver what we look to them for, it can also be a terrifying thing. When you give so much of yourself to something and then it's exposed, it's a scary time. When what you've built your life on is finally exposed as worthless, it can be a terrifying thing. And here's how we avoid that awful fate. We remember the futility of idols, and we turn away from them. Or better yet, we remember the futility of idols and we never allow ourselves again to make an idol. This is how we avoid the shame of a life wrecked by the lie of idolatry. We remember the futility of idols from the examples we see in the Bible. We remember the futility of idols from the examples we see in other people's lives. And we remember the futility of idols from our own past involvement with idols. We remember these things. We call them to mind. We remember them. And best of all, we remember the futility of idols from God's warnings to us about the futility of idols. Verse 21, God says, remember these 
things Jacob. In the preceding verses, God has exposed the ridiculousness of idolatry through describing how one is made. He's exposed the ridiculousness of idolatry by stating that they're worthless and useless, they're detestable, they're a lie. And now God says, remember these things, Jacob. Remember the futility of idols and stay away from them. God's people are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when he says, remember these things, Jacob, God is simply appealing to all of his covenant people, remember the futility of idols. They are nothing. They do nothing. They profit you nothing. So stay away from them. Remember that they are futile. And then God goes on and gives them some other positive truths to remember. Remember the futility of idols, and then remember this. You, Israel, are my servant. I made you. You're my servant. God says to an idolatrous people, you make your idols, but I made you. So you're mine. Remember who made you. I made you, and you belong to me. So there are two things we're tasked with remembering here. We're tasked with remembering the futility of idols, and then with remembering God, our creator. Stop worshiping things you create and worship the one who created you is God's appeal. If you remember the futility of idols and you remember your creator, then you're going to understand something. You're going to understand that idolatry is sinful. It is sinful to worship the creation rather than the creator. And so as that realization dawns on us, God goes on in verses 21 and 22 and assures his people of this. Remember, this was written before Babylonian captivity. It would have been read by people while they were in captivity. And God says to people in Babylonian captivity, paying for their idolatry, experiencing the judgment of their idolatry, God says to them in the midst of that, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. God made you. God will never forget you. God has swept away your offenses like a cloud. He has swept away your offenses like the morning mist. And I want to say to all of us here today, what, whatever false God you have been serving, Whatever idol you have erected in your life, no matter whether you've been serving money or sex or career or material possessions or drugs or another person, no matter what or who you have worshipped instead of God, he never forgets that he made you. He always remembers that you are his and he has swept away your offenses. He's redeemed you. He's purchased you by the blood of Jesus. You are his. 
And so there's only one thing you have to do. is just return. Just return to him. There's nothing preventing it. There's no obstacle to it. His arms are open. He just wants you to return. Turn away from the worthless and useless idols you've erected in your life and just return to the Lord. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. He, he, he's not going to ask you to beat yourself up for three weeks. He, he, he's not going to ask you to crawl on your knees from here to California to make up for what you've done. He just says, return. I've already taken care of it. Just return to me. God never forgets that we are his. And he is always ready to receive us back to himself. When we remember the futility of idols, and we remember God our creator, when we reject our idols and turn back to God, verse 23 tells us that a celebration takes place. Here's how it reads. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forest and all you trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. When we remember the futility of idols, when we remember God, our creator, and return to the Lord, we can join with this great celebration and we can rejoice in the grace of our God. Christians living in 2022, God appeals to us today to remember the futility of idols and to remember him, our creator. And if you've walked away and you've been serving a God that is no God, all you have to do is return. He's made the way. His arms are open. All you have to do is return. Let's stand.